I'm Tara Lake, and this is The Tara Lake Show. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of The Tara Lake Show. Today, as part of this special eight-episode season, I'm excited to share the second installment in my three-part series on poet, author, and activist Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Last week, we learned a bit more about this inspiring pioneer and her role in history, and we explored some of her poetry. Harper began publishing in poetry in 1845 at the age of 20 and later became known for her fiction as well. Harper utilized her fiction to inspire, uplift, and educate audiences, and to dramatize the social issues that motivated her work and activism. Frances E.W. Harper lived and worked in Philadelphia for decades in the 19th and early 20th century, and I wrote, performed, and produced this project for Philadelphia radio audiences, adding elements of audio theater to the series. We are truly fortunate to have Harper's work with us today. And now I'm grateful to share part two of this series. We're returning with the second installment in our three-part series on the life and work of African-American poet, novelist, abolitionist, women's rights activist, and Philadelphian Frances E.W. Harper whom I recently profiled in a Philadelphia Poetry Moment. A trigger warning for sensitive listeners. This program contains direct reference to a violent racial epithet. In our first installment, we discussed Harper's poetry and its indelible link to her activism, considering her well-known poems, Bury Me in a Free Land and Learning to Read. But Harper also became well-known for her fiction, written in thoughtful, moving, and courageous prose that continues to strike readers today. Born to a free Baltimore family in 1825, Harper passed away at 86 years of age here in the city of Philadelphia in 1911, after having been a leading justice advocate and thought leader both in Philadelphia and throughout the country a founder and vice president of the National Association of Colored Women, and a seminal figure in the African-American women's club movement, Watkins lent her energies to many causes and was a traveling lecturer for the American Anti-Slavery Society, a co-founder of the American Women's Suffrage Association, and a leader in the Women's Christian Temperance Union. We'll delve into more of these activities in the third and final installment of this three-part series, but it's important to note that the political motives that spurred Harper's activism also energized her literary offerings. A prolific writer, Harper has long been known for her poems and speeches. By the late 20th and early 21st centuries, however, researchers began rediscovering her fiction, prose, and longer works, including her most celebrated novel, Iola Leroy. Notably, Iola Leroy didn't appear until 1892, when she became one of the earliest African-American women to publish a novel. Frances C.W. Harper was already in her late 60s, no small feat for the 19th century. 
Ayala Leroy is frequently studied on campuses today and remains a vital work because of its centering of the malicious mechanisms of slavery and institutional racism, the harsh realities of Caucasian and light-skinned privilege, and a pernicious discrimination against African Americans of various complexions. These and other topics, including the ravages of addiction, gender oppression, educational exclusion, and employment and housing discrimination, had been present in Harper's writing for decades before. Harper was a widely published progressive journalist and serial writer, and from 1868 to 1888, she published three novels in serial form, exploring these topics in depth. Appearing when Frances E. W. Harper was in her 40s and 50s, the novels Minnie's Sacrifice, Sowing and Reaping, and Trial and Triumph were published in the African Methodist Episcopal Church's newspaper, The Christian Recorder, over the two-decade period. These novels anticipate the style and topics evident in Harper's Iola Leroy. Written in unflinching language, despite their sentimentality, these novels address issues that continue to haunt our nation. In Francis E. W. Harper's rediscovered classic, Trial and Triumph, Harper addresses the economic and political importance of African-American land and home ownership at a time when these meant not only self-determination, but access to the ballot box. Harper also addressed the burden of the exclusion of African-Americans from public schools, which prevented African-Americans from accessing the educational system their tax dollars supported and exposed them to the undue hardship of financing independent schools. In this excerpt of Trial and Triumph, character Mrs. Lizette details this injustice. What I mean to say is this, that in our ward is an excellent schoolhouse with half a score of well-equipped and deficient teachers. The former colored schoolhouse was a dingy-looking building about a mile and a half away, with only one young school teacher who had, it is true, passed a creditable examination. Now, when my daughter saw that the children of all other nationalities, it mattered not how low and debasing might be their environment, could enter the school for which her father paid taxes, and that she was forced either to stay at home or to go through all weathers to an ungraded school in a poorly ventilated and unevenly heated room. But would not such public inequality burn into her soul the idea of race inferiority? And this is why I look upon the mixed school as a right step in the right direction. Another character, trained African-American teacher, Mr. Thomas, is unable to find employment in public schools despite his qualifications because of racial discrimination. As a result, he's subject to a desperate search for work as both employers and workers deny him access to gainful employment. Here's another excerpt of Trial and Triumph. Mr. Thomas resolved, if pluck and energy were of any avail, 
then he would leave no stone unturned in seeking employment. He searched the papers carefully for advertisements, walked from one workshop to the other looking for work, and was eventually met with a refusal, which meant no Negro need apply. At last one day, when he had tried almost every workshop in the place, he entered the establishment of William C. Nell, an Englishman who had not been long enough in America to be fully saturated by its Christless and inhuman prejudices. He was willing to give Mr. Thomas work and put tools in his hands. And while watching how deftly he handled them, he did not notice the indignant scowls on the faces of his workmen and their murmurs of disapprobation as they uttered their dissatisfaction one to the other. At length, they took off their aprons, laid down their tools, and asked to be discharged from work. Why, what does this mean? asked the astounded Englishman. It means we will not work with a n Well, I, I don't understand. What's the matter with him? Why, there's nothing the matter. Only he's a n And we never put n****s on an equality with us. And we never will. But I, I'm a stranger in this country, and I don't understand you. Well, he's a n****, and we don't want n****s for nothing. Would you have your daughter marry a n****? But if you do not want to work with him, I, I'll put him by myself. There's room enough on the premises. Will that suit you any better? No, we won't work for a man who employs a n****. In Francis E. W. Harper's Sowing and Reaping, a temperance story, Harper's commitment to the temperance movement is channeled in a heartbreaking and thoughtful consideration of the impact of alcohol abuse. Gripped by alcohol addiction and languishing in a saloon, a father, Tom Carey, mourns the loss of his son to alcoholism in a confrontation with its bartender and owner, who serves alcohol to a minor. Well, why did you mix that liquor with such care and give it to that child? I'm making an investment. What's the harm? You're one of my best customers. Did liquor ever harm you? When I saw you giving liquor to that innocent boy, I couldn't help thinking of my poor Charlie. He was just such a bright child as that, with beautiful brown eyes and a fine forehead. Ah, that boy had a mind. He was always ahead of his studies. Once, when, when he was about 12 years old, I let him go on a traveling tour with his uncle. He was so agreeable and wide awake. His uncle liked to have him for company, but it was a dear trip to my poor Charlie. During this journey, they stopped at a hotel and my brother gave him a glass of wine. Better for my dear boy had he given him a glass of strychnine. That one glass awakened within him a dreadful craving. It raged like a hungry fire. I talked to him and his mother pled with him. 
but it was no use. Liquor was his master, and when he couldn't get liquor, I've known him break into his pantry to get our burning fluid to assuage his thirst. Sometimes he would be sober for several weeks at a time, then our hopes would brighten that Charlie would be himself again. Then in an hour, all our hopes would be dashed to the ground. It seemed as if a spell was upon him. He married a, a dear good girl who was as true as steel. But all her entreaties to him to give up drinking were like beating the air. He drank and drank until it drank himself into the grave. In a nation still struggling to wrench itself from the toxic grips of foundational institutional racism, racial violence, economic oppression, and addiction, Francis E.W. Harper's work doesn't just tell us about the past, it speaks to the present. More than 130 years since their publication, the early novels of Philadelphia's own Frances E.W. Harper continue to resonate today, and her warnings are no less relevant. I'm your host, Tara Lake, and I served as the producer, writer, editor, and voice performer for this special series on Frances E.W. Harper. And that does it for today's episode of The Tara Lake Show. I want to thank the folks at Philadelphia's WPPM who first aired this series and expressed gratitude to leaders at the Alliance for Community Media who recognized this production with their Best of Documentary Biography Community Radio Award for 2021. And I want to thank you, listener, for taking the time to join me today. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Please reach out at taralakeshow.com. That's taralakeshow.com. I'm your host, Tara Lake. Thank you so much for listening to The Tara Lake Show. <laughs>